Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Utabia Terrier. Do not adjust your dials. This is me, David Hartrick, on hosting duties for once. Um, there's a good reason for it. Uh, joining me, as usual, is Stephen Chicken. Stephen, hello. Hello. I'm a bit concerned that your phone has dials, but, you know, it's it's all right. You, you do you. Um, but mainly because we have news to discuss, and Steve is probably in the better position to discuss it, we thought we'd switch roles so that I can ask questions, because there's things... I deliberately, uh, the, the time is half past 12, a story broke at 12 o'clock today, I've deliberately just read what Steve has written, I have no other information so I can ask the questions that I think you lot are going to ask. Uh, so, quite simply Steve, what has happened first? Yeah, so the the club have announced that Phil Hodgkinson has, has resigned as a director of the club uh, and has stepped down as chairman. And that Dean Hoyle is going to be is is in discussions to to take over Hodgkinson's shares essentially. So taking that seventy five percent that he sold in summer twenty nineteen back off Hodgkinson and becoming a hundred percent owner again. So what that means is Hodgkinson is still the seventy five percent owner, but he is not on the board of directors anymore. To be honest, that side of things doesn't really change very much because Hodgkinson's been away from the club since November anyway, since his businesses went into administration, which is obviously an ongoing process at that end. Uh, And Dean Hoyle came back in when that happened and has taken over not just the sort of the financial responsibilities, but also the day-to-day running of the club, which we already knew that had been... You know, we we reported that pretty much at the time, and and Hod- and Hoyle has confirmed it in his program notes uh, for the Swansea game back in January. So in that respect, it's very much as you were. I think sort of the the key thing is the the word on the takeover and the confirmation that Hoyle is now looking to to take back that seventy five percent share, which again is is not really a major surprise, but does confirm that and gives a bit of reassurance about what direction the club are, are looking to go in there. So just to confirm, this is just Dean Hoyle on his own because there was all the rumours around Marcus Evans that wouldn't go away for a few weeks. This is purely Hoyle. Yeah, that, that's what the statement says. And, you know, uh, the, the to be honest, the, the Evans thing has gone quiet for the past few weeks anyway. There was, you know, there was a flurry of it around the turn of the new, the new year and people talking about him and his name being in the frame. But that has been quiet for a while now so it is just Hoyle that's that's in the picture now to be taking over those those shares from Hodgkinson so it would be Hoyle as as 100% owner the the way they're looking at it at the moment but there's no I mean there's no reason why in the future there wouldn't be potentially investment or something from elsewhere but right now this would be to confirm Dean Hoyle to take back over the club 100% and be in 100% control going forward for the foreseeable future yeah so I, I can't sit here and say 100 percent dean hoyle's gonna be you know have another 10 years in charge but 
certainly this statement and and the you know the the word of had is he is looking to to take it over as a, a sole custodian at the moment and and there's you know as i say it's it's gone quiet any other talk of other investors has been been quiet for a while now um so it it seems as though it's just hoil in the frame now yeah um is there any indication at what point along the road the deal is there's uh, still a way to go basically so there's a bit of red tape that they need to get through um because it would need efl clearance i guess as well exactly yeah so there's 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 boxes they need to tick so it's not as simple as just going okay here's an amount of money or here's an agreement or whatever and and it's done tomorrow um there are approvals that they need to go go through um and i think we're looking at sort of more sort of may possibly could run into weeks and months uh, on on this kind of thing um, because we know you know for instance if you think back to the when Hodgkinson bought that seventy five percent share off Hoyle uh, I know he had to dispose of his his uh, share in Southport and there were other complications around that but you know that took a few months to to get approved and to go through even though it had been announced sort of well in advance it didn't actually you know it had been announced i think back in april and didn't actually go through until the july so these things do take time and and not everything is necessarily in in everyone's control but um as i say i think the significant thing is the statement sort of makes clear what their intentions are and and which which direction they're traveling with this yeah so I, i think it's good because i think they're when when it originally broke last year that the pure group had gone into administration etc there was an element of doubt that the club were very very keen to uh put to one side weren't they you know mm. i don't know how many times we heard the words short term medium term and long term <laughs> but it was a lot um so this just feels like it's essentially just the next phase of that process doesn't it yeah exactly you know there there've been i think They've probably been moving towards this for a long time, um, but as I say, you know, there's obviously Hodgkinson will have been tied up as well with with things on the pure side of things. You know, obviously going into administration requires quite urgent attention. Um, so with Huddersfield Town being sort of you know a separate entity, uh, I think it's understandable that his focus would 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 be on that. And I don't think there was obviously there was there was urgency from town to make sure you know the wage bill was paid. We know that that Hoyle has, has paid the the wage bill. Um, you know, for that October, for instance, after he came back in. Um, but, uh, you know, so there was a sense of urgency there. But in terms of getting everything sort of sewn up, you know, Hodgkinson has, has been out of the club uh, effectively in terms of sort of day-to-day running for a few months now. Hoyle has been in for a few months now. So I think in that respect, it's it's more a case of making sure it's done right uh, rather than rushing into something. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process and that's that's where they are with it now. It feels like they've sort of, they've got through the short-term bit, which is get Hoyle in to, to run things day-to-day and effectively take over. I know he's chief exec, interim chief exec at the moment, but effectively take over the duties of a chairman. That was sort of the short-term bit. The medium-term bit now is getting this takeover done. And then longer-term, who knows, but the, the way it's shaping up, it's looking like Hoyle as, uh, as, as sole owner um, in the longer term. Um, I think it's worth then, as we have a, a, a sort of end point here, effectively, of just looking back a little bit on Phil Hodgkinson's time with the club, because I think he gets criticised a hell of a lot by a certain section of fans. I think some of the criticism is due for some decisions he made quite early in his reign. Um, 
but I th- I think the latter stages I think things were going pretty well. What what do you think his legacy is? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a complicated topic, and there are lots of fans who will never be won over to to Phil Hodgkinson. Mm. But you know, I think obviously you know the, the way things ended will always be sort of the thing that's that's probably most remembered about his his reign. But I think that you know it was. Hodgkinson that oversaw that that summer's recruitment for instance and you know although obviously the footballing decisions are made by Lee Bromby and his team and Carlos Corbran and and the recruitment team and so on um obviously it was you know you still need to have a chairman who sort of helps set the vision and and sets the policy and they had that really rough season last year as part of that policy where they were just trying to sort of get through run some contracts down yeah and get exactly COVID, it. wasn't it that's exactly it but you know I think their intention always last season was was do that and then get their business done early. I think that's sort of the most crucial thing from last summer is that they made sure they had those deals done early. You think back to sort of May, June, um, you had, you know, we, they had sort of six or seven players announced before um, mm. the contracts even began and, on 1st of July, so... You know, and, and on reflection, I think you have to understand that was it's incredibly important because Carlos Corbran, the the way he ran that team into the ground last season, he getting that fitness into him and getting those disciplines mm. into him over the summer was absolutely vital. So it's no, I don't think that's any small thing when you're talking about the success of this season. Really, I think not only was the business good, but getting it done at the point they did was was vital. Really, I I think. I think the problem with Phil Hodgkinson is that a lot of people have made their minds up very quickly and mm-hmm. I completely understand that because I think there were some early decisions that I mean, he made and some early things he did that were were wrong <laughs> you know no other way to say it were wrong but I think you can't deny that the club learned to work a bit smarter under him you know in terms of the summer recruitment I think Lee Bromby and Josh Marsh have, have to take a, a lot of credit there but I think that it's just good to now draw a line, isn't it? Because I feel like everybody needs to move on from the memes and from the name calling and everything else. I think it really needs to be a proper new era now, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's evident obviously his businesses have gone into administration, which sort of suggests that he wasn't of sufficient sort of in a sufficient cash position to give the club what it needed. And, you know, I think that was everyone's complaint all along um or certainly a lot of the the concern was whether he had the means to do that and you know i think he was he was able to keep it going but obviously the the you know when you look at how the effect the the pandemic had on court cases for instance and how the court sort of ground to a halt certainly over the first few months of the pandemic you can understand why a legal business would be hit and um you know that's again probably one for the legal industry press to talk yeah. about really if you're interested in that side of things but you know yeah, it's, it's, it's a... and and i think i think it's worth saying steve if if you don't feel any sympathy about that that's absolutely fine too <laughs> you know you don't have to feel sort of sympathetic and empathetic about something like that because it, it is what it is every every business and every industry has been affected by the pandemic one yeah. way or another but oh, yeah. I do feel in terms of Phil Hodgkinson I do think the pandemic is the big what if because we just don't know what would have happened without that but 
it is what it is and and we've got to move on this is it yeah as you say draw a line under it now and you know i think i think town fans obviously they know what they're getting with hoyle i think that's mm. i think that's sort of the reassurance i mean we put the, the news up the tweet out 45 minutes ago and there's literally been <laughs> in reply to to my sort of tweet about the news there's been sort of two comments and they're both saying oh well good (laughs) so you know i I think it's i'm sure that there will be sort of more questions to to answer but it's worth saying this is basically just tacit confirmation of something like 75 percent of town fans suspected anyway i think yeah this is it and the other thing is you know things are going so well on the pitch you know (laughs) i'm looking at one of the replies here to um to you know the club's tweet about it and someone's just said can you can the club also confirm it's in discussions to bring back dizzy penalties at half time Mm -hmm. so i think that sort of tells you where where the fans mindset is at as opposed to sort of november um when they were sort of one win in seven and you know, it's amazing what a winning streak or an unbeaten streak, I should say, can can do for for spirits. And but as you say, I think you're right. The the big thing is that I think sort of we're expecting something along these lines. Um, and I think obviously, if there had been another investor sort of named on that announcement, then there'd be a lot more questions. But I think probably people are fairly content with the direction of travel although we'll, we'll see you know it's still mm. as i say we're still 45 minutes after the announcement perhaps there will be other questions to, to be asked here we'll see um final one on this because i don't want to go on about it forever because there is there is not a lot more information beyond but i think it's more of a statement really from both of us which is that i think town fans need to realize that having going from Hoyle to Hodgkinson and then back to Hoyle this this is unusual ownership isn't it the the days of fans owning football clubs are sort of long in the rearview mirror mm. and the fact that town have that and have had that really they need to celebrate that a little bit because when that changes it sort of doesn't ever come back does it it's true, but I think you know. I think what you've got there is you. You know that your owners are sort of going to have the best interest of the club at heart. I th- but I can also understand why. To you know, at a certain point, the fans sort of stop caring about that, um, and and only really care about well, are you taking the club forward? Are you succeeding? Are you the best custodian for the club? Because you know, say you the want word to... transfer, Steve. Just say yeah, the word well, transfers. It's true though. I mean, you saw how sort of wholeheartedly um, people have embraced. Uh, you know the ownership model at, at Newcastle. How Newcastle fans have embraced that, and I think we've got a pretty clear illustration at the moment of the the perils of having uh, state uh, endorsed ownership of football clubs, shall we say? No, um, <laughs> but um, you know, so I know which which side I'd I'd rather be on as as an owner for my club, but you know Hoyle's been been you know was was chairman for for 10 years he knows that you know the fact that he's a fan won't count for much unless the the club is successful under his stewardship and he's taking the the club back over um when it does go through you know he'll be taking it back over in a, a very good position uh in terms of what's happening on the pitch and you know we saw that there's no sort of with the work they did in January there's no sort of financial headaches there you know that that transfer window was not the transfer window of a club that was desperately trying to raise funds because if they if they had been they could have been on the phone trying to offload Lewis O'Brien trying to offload Sorba Thomas trying to offload Josh Caroma instead they were 
desperately keen to keep everyone, which they did. And they even added three new players. So, yeah, I think they're in a good state. And, you know, sort of the, the big question mark is what division they're going to be in next year. Um, because, uh, you know, it, it, it Hoyle would almost be picking up where he left off if they were to get promoted to, to the Premier League. Because, you know, he, he, he was ill for his last few months of his reign, um, his first reign. And that was really the, the the main reason that he sold up in the first place was was because he was unwell and and didn't feel up to running the club. He he said that himself. So he's obviously he's, he's feeling better now. I think he's you know he seems to be enjoying running the club again. Um, I doubt he'd be looking to take it over if he wasn't. So yeah, that the, he'll be he'll be coming back into a, a club in quite a happy place as it stands. Yeah, good football then. <laughs> Mm. actual football we got two games to talk about um and if you can all reach your mind back as far as last week to cardiff arriving in town <laughs> um interesting game this i thought and it was a a huge I, d- I don't know about you we'll go into the game a little bit and we'll talk about one or two things but afterwards it felt like a little bit of a mentality shift which seems mad for a team who've been in the playoffs for a long time and they're on a mad unbeaten run. But there is nothing quite like getting a 96th minute winner, is there? I almost feel like the Fulham and Cardiff games are like the perfect results that you could have got for like getting belief in a season. Like I think the way that those two games played out were like almost like the best PR town could possibly have had. Um because obviously they you know, we talked about Fulham last week, but having that two nil lead and then holding on and, and seeing it out with, with such a good performance, their best performance since we were trying I was talking to Mel Booth about this actually at the at the Cardiff game and we were saying what was the last time we saw a town performance that good and we think it was probably against Chelsea in twenty eighteen when they when they stayed up so um yeah I mean, and then to, to go and you know on the five or a ticket game where we joked you know that there was this feel-good factor and they'd got the five pound a ticket on and it's a chance to sort of get everyone behind the team and they're one nil down with three minutes to go and you're thinking oh this is going to happen again funnily enough because of that injury time that length of injury time they had from tom lee's injury um you sort of when they did get that equalizer from Coroma in the 88th minute you did think okay they're gonna win this now (laughs) you just you sort of knew it was coming Steve Morrison Cardiff manager said exactly the same in the presser didn't he Mm -hmm. said the moment he put up nine minutes he knew they were done for because they were going to get a chance and it was likely they were going to take it and what what I did want to talk about before we go into the specifics is just how the subs changed that game Mm. I, I we had a very brief conversation before I've never seen a town bench as strong as that in my life I've genuinely never seen a town bench as strong as that and I think that the way town have run over the last couple of seasons has led them to them always having a good option on the bench Mm. or maybe a good player and a good option on the bench but they really had uh, ways to change the game didn't they and it and it made a significant difference yeah I mean Jordan Rhodes came on and played uh, he was a big. Superb. Yeah, played a. I gave him. I think I gave him a seven. And it should have been an eight. He, you know, he played a big part in both goals. He, it was his knockback for Karoma um, that that teed him up to. And it was a great finish. Another substitute Karoma. Really, really good finish to the bottom corner. Um, and those are the kinds of chances he's 
you know, he's snatched out or he's, he's, you know, we've seen him take one touch too many on those chances mm. this season. But that, yeah, that time he was just way more instinctive, knew where the bottom corner was and found it. Um, and, you know, even Aiton, who came on, who we've sort of overlooked a little bit, but, you know, he he came on and, and I thought he really helped open up the space for Sorba Thomas because both of them were going out to that right-hand side and looking to put crosses in. I thought Sorba Thomas was excellent. I thought, you know, obviously he was, it was his crosses for, for both of the goals. Uh, he set up Russell's as well in injury time and, uh, you know, the, the quality, you know, Morrison sort of implied it had been sort of just lumping it into the box in town, but I think that's sort of doing a bit of a disservice to, to the quality of Sorba Thomas's deliveries into the box there. Um, he's, He's quietly been on like a really good run of form that I think mm. if he hadn't had that incredible start to the season, I think a lot more people would be talking about just how good Silver Thomas has been recently. Um, because when I when I look at the ratings we've given him sort of over this unbeaten run, more often than not, it's been an eight or a nine, um, mm. which is remarkable, really. Um, you know, three man of the matches in there as well. So yeah, he, he. I think he's been on excellent four. But you're right. I mean, the the substitutes. This was a game where the subs were sort of instrumental in changing the game, and I think that once again sort of talks about the the level of depth Town have got in the squad at the moment. Yeah, I I thought the subs allowed them to open out the pitch a lot more. Um, yeah. you know, it's it's sort of a second half looked on it from the off, but when the subs came on and just opened up a little bit the space for him, you you could see. You could almost see the light bulb moment where he thought, "Hang on, I've got, I've got my way to hurt them here." Um, and I, I thought he was excellent. And I think with Rhodes, I think he gets the assist, he gets the header, um, doing something that, like, is not necessarily what he's known for, which is sort of scrapping and fighting and holding off a defender, really. Mm-hmm. But then the second one was really clever because basically a little bump. <laughs> A little nudge at the right time, and just he, he just takes the central defender who would have cleared that Sorber cross out before it dropped to Russell. Just completely takes him out of the game, and it was it was the touch of a very experienced striker. To be fair, to just just open that up, and I thought, I said to you actually, I texted you after that that his time on the pitch during that game is exactly what he's been signed for, isn't it? Yeah, I mean he's got. When I looked at it in the conclusions, half of the goals or assists that Town have got from the bench this season have been Jordan Rhodes, one goal and two assists, mm. and and you know it's it's almost tempting to sort of give him an assist for the for the Russell goal as well because it was what you're talking about is Aiden Flint was right there six foot seven of him, um, tr- you know waiting to win that ball, but he doesn't commit to the ball uh, because Rhodes is there, and. Rhodes just sort of stands his ground. He doesn't push Flint. He doesn't elbow him. He just sort of stands his ground and and sort of lets and puts himself between Flint and Russell, which well, it stops it stops him getting a jump at it, doesn't he? That's the yeah. Thing. He it gives Russell that just extra there. half a second. Yeah, it gave him gave Russell that extra half a second. And credit to John Russell as well. You know, another really good game for him. Uh, and you know, the, the the calm that he showed to take that goal is sort of classic. John Russell, you know, I think mm. in the 96th minute with the adrenaline of having just scored from 1-0 down, and we will talk about 
the the first hour of the game actually in a moment but um to have that composure I, I think a lot of players in that situation particularly at his age you know you forget he's the youngest player in that team he's 21 um for him to not snatch at it but just keep his head bring it under control and then a lovely finish just it's the outside of his boot isn't it it's just like a mm. like a hockey push isn't it mm. uh with the outside of his boot into into the bottom corner it was uh, it was a lovely finish yeah i think just before we sort of leave roads really where we're going we don't need roads oh. um but you know, like you have to remember that sort of a goal and two point five assists. He's missed half the season. <laughs> that's yeah. very decent figures from the bench. You know, it, it may not sound stunning, but that's very decent figures from the bench. And I think that that is the value. I think a lot of people, when he signed, assumed that he was seen as the answer that he was going to be starting every game and he was going to be the one where the boat onus was on and that was never really going to happen because that's not well, how Corbin plays with his striker. Yeah, yeah. I think he was sort of signed to compete with Ward for that role but Ward's just been so good that he, yeah. he sort of well, has you'd, become... you'd argue it's it's worked perfectly then, wouldn't it? Yeah, you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, to be honest. So, yeah, um no, he's you know, good contribution but uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the <sighs> For all sort of the adrenaline, and obviously I get why fans love games like that, and you know you get people saying it's the best way to win a game. Uh, not for me, it's not. I had to do two rewrites, but um, you know I, <laughs> I always sort of prefer a comfortable two. Not just as a journalist, I just prefer a comfortable two 0 even though it's much less exciting. Um, you know, I'm looking for a good performance rather than sort of an exciting result. But you know, that's I'm a weirdo. Um, so confirmed. Uh, I mean, the first hour they they weren't fantastic they had loads no. of the ball 70 something percent possession and and but i think they looked, they only... uh, i think they look leggy i yeah I think they look it was a like... huge effort against fulham wasn't it yeah uh, you, you predicted it. it you called it yeah you could see every one of the miles in a lot of of players legs and i, I but i don't think that's i don't think that's a bad thing because no. if you can put that effort in and then still find a way to win your midweek game that's huge huge yeah. and yeah you know like a really good solid 2-0 which we're going to go on and talk about one of them anyway is great on a lot of levels but there's a lot to be said mentality wise for yeah. just finding a way to win and yeah. the first half in particular I thought they looked not not bad but they just everything was very laboured everything mm. was was uh, a bit predictable and Cardiff just got themselves into basically into a line of five and a line of three and it looked like it could very much be one of those games but I think what what woke town up is is Tommy Dahl's goal which I don't think was a great goal to concede because he no, did effectively not. run in a straight line <laughs> which is is mm. never really what you want to see a goal against but I think the goal woke them up I think the substitutes changed the game and open the space up and as I said just finding a way to win is massive isn't it it is yeah and you know I think Cardiff did have the someone asked me at Birmingham I think the best way to sum up this game would be to quote myself no because someone <laughs> someone asked me at Birmingham like did they deserve that win or was it a bit of a smash and grab and it was like both to be honest because like mm. I think mm. at the time they went behind they deserved to be behind because they'd had all the territory all the possession but all the best chances had been Cardiff's um so you know I think town had had one shot in card on, on target to, to Cardiff six at the time they scored mm. but then as you say after Cardiff went ahead that did seem to wake them up and um and from there it it there only looked like one winner and that was that was sort of still town particularly after they got the equalizer you know you just knew that second one was coming so yeah. no i mean 
I think Sonani was poor again in that first hour, just to sort of, if we're highlighting players who did well and players who did poorly, it was almost identical to the performance he put in against Preston, where just he'd, got, he'd get the ball on halfway and it looked like he was sort of staring off into space. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, for, first half, he touched the ball 27 times and he lost possession with nine, with nine of them. And mm. that's, you know, like, I know he's a risk player, I know mm. you want him taking men on and taking risks, but he really, he really was poor. And I, like, I think we've got a team in a very good spell, but there's a player there who's in a bit of a bad one. He's yeah, not, agreed. he's not affecting games. He's not doing the things that you know, like when we've seen him on form, he's like almost a bit of a nightmare because he just pops up everywhere and he just wants to take the shot on from anywhere, and he's just not doing that anymore. And mm. I think. His defensive work is still fairly sound. You know, he's always there on the cover. He's he's always tucking in to try and give Sorba a bit more space. But he's just offering so little on the ball at the moment, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I would say he's actually hurting the team on the ball. Like, I was surprised. Mm. I was surprised he lasted so long on the pitch, both against Preston and against um, Cardiff, to be honest, and I know he swapped in both games. He sort of he swapped uh, him and, and Dwayne Holmes over, um, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know. He's he's not having a good time of it at the moment. I think, no. as I say, particularly in midfield, it's that thing where he's. He, I don't know if it's maybe it's an analyst thing. It's it's you know something we talked about. We're expecting someone to do it with John Russell, Don Russell, at some point, but um, you know. He, if he gets the ball on halfway, he, he invariably is losing it at the, at the moment. You know, he, he thinks he's got more time than he's got, and you know, I think it's not something that can't be fixed. You know, the, there's an obvious fix to it because it's such an obvious well, he's, issue. He's but... played well, hasn't he? You know, it's not. We're not like talking a player who's been, you know, resolutely awful since he came in. He has no. played well, and he has. Like even in games where he's not played sort of actively badly, he's contributed with goals. Yeah, and that's that's how I would put it with him. Yeah, I don't think I can't think of many sort of standout performances from from Danielsonani, but. Yeah, I mean, I think we wrote after the sort of the Swansea or maybe Reading games about how he's a player who does get goals even when he's not playing well. He, you know, he finds a way. So, um, you know, and he's that kind of player who can play badly for you know sixty minutes and then come up with something that that <laughs> that no one else could do, which is maybe why Corbrand sort of stuck with him for so long uh, against Cardiff. But no, I don't think he had a good game. And the sort of the positive here is uh, is you know they've got a player coming in who plays exactly the positions Sonani plays mm. who looks like you know looks like being their best option they've got in that position in Tino Andrian and I'm sort of I'm caught between two stools here a little bit because uh, I don't want to sort of hype up a player I've not seen and say oh he's going to take down to the next level but you know we've seen clips of him we've heard we've spoken to people at Chelsea about him we know what the club think about him um, and he, if he fulfills his potential, even comes close to filling his potential, he could be a really, really crucial player to Huddersfield Town. You know, you think it's mm. mad to think this is a team who have been without, had been without Levi Colwell since the beginning of January, and their other big January signing we've not seen in all of February, and and they're coming back into the side now. Mm. So, Tino Andrew, just to confirm, you're saying he's better than Pete Cruyff? Got you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, three points in a bag midweek, always nice. And then an away trip to Birmingham, and I did a lot of the prep pieces for the the Birmingham game, and 
I certainly wasn't going into it with anything to fear. I think they're a, I don't think they're a great side. They've got a big injury list. I think they're yeah. quite easy to play against. And Town have a cracking record down there. I think they've madly they've won something. I think it's something like five of the last eight games they've played at St Andrews. So fairly confident going in. But I wasn't expecting it to be quite as comfortable as it was. And it it really was after an incredibly tough week. <laughs> this is the thing. You think yeah. that you think the Fulham and the Cardiff ways are the best ways to win a game. I think the Birmingham game was the perfect one to end the week on because, I mean, essentially Town could just keep them at arm's length, really. I don't think they were ever under much of a sustained spell where they it ever felt like they were under the cosh. No, they had those two shots second half, Birmingham. Uh, Bakuna had one. Yeah, Bakuna's outside of the post one, yeah. And, and it was a and, good save from Nichols again, wasn't there? Yeah, it, just a couple of minutes later, Hernandez tried one. It was Again, it was deflected, and, and Nichols had to make a brilliant save. Really, really good stop, because the deflection... I mean, it was the kind of deflection where I was watching the replays, thinking, I'm sure there was a deflection, and try to spot mm-hmm. it. And I couldn't, because the ball continued you know it was it, it remained as powerful as as when it left his boot kind of thing so the deflection didn't take any of the pace off it so to to see that and and get the save on it and push it onto the bar was a really really good save from Nichols yeah but, I want to I want to finish with a bit of chat on Nichols so we will come back to him because I know a lot of town fans great. are high on him at the moment shall we say mm. and we are too but the I mean yeah I mean they were 2-0 up at half time and and they looked sort of they they sort of had gone taking that lead and playing in third gear. Um, you know, Levi Cole will come back in because Tom Lee's is, is, his gash is right down the middle of his forehead. So they were like, as Carlos said after the game, they're expecting a lot of aerial balls to deal with. So um, it was like, he's just going to, he's just going to bust himself back mm-hmm. open if we bandage him up and send him out there. So Cole came back in and that's not a bad, uh, not a bad change to be able to make. Uh, Opta, your lot, Dave, Opta are giving it as his goal still. Um, I don't know if that's one for the dubious goals panel. It's not... We, to clarify, as I come under enormous criticism from a beleaguered journalist, um, but to clarify, we only we only give it basically. Then it goes to the review process to the actual football league. So it's just a, like an initial assessment. It's a little bit like a couple of years ago. I did the infamous. Uh, Stoke v Spurs game where Harry Kane did or did not score the goal that got him the golden boot Mm. and at the time I gave it as an own goal and Opta gave it as an own goal and then it went through the review process and eventually got given as a Kane goal but yeah I mean it was an own goal (laughs) it was categorically an own goal he chested it back across the six yard box it was I mean it was nowhere near on target but another very very good ball from Sorba Thomas another good you know great great delivery two men at the back post virtually unmarked um, to be able to hook that back in and Conwell and Pearson wasn't it yeah completely deserved on the balance of play as well I think mm. Birmingham had offered very very little at that point and they they were struggling defensively they had basically a back four of of two full backs and two wingers essentially weirdly um, yeah. and then but, one of the one of, one of them went off injured as well um, yeah. so they ended up with a set uh, Two wingers at full back and a full back and a central midfielder at centre back, and I think yeah. that showed in the second goal. <laughs> yeah, the second the second goal is just horrendous defending, and then Lewis O'Brien doing um, doing the thing he's threatened to do a hell of a lot over the last two years, really, which is is pick, actually pick, properly pickpocket a defender and and finish well. 
and it was a good goal, but a two nil, it was completely game over, wasn't it? It was, yeah. I, I, you know, they couldn't play with a top hat and a cane second half. You've got to be organised and do what you do. But it was a dream scenario, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and Birmingham are a bit down on, down on their heels at the moment because sorry, Small Heath Alliance. We keep calling them Birmingham. <sighs> no, they're, they're a bit they're a bit down at heel at the moment because from you know talking to my colleague there, Brian Dick, he he was saying that. They've actually been playing all right, but obviously they've got that injury crisis in defence, and and you know the they've just they've had a bit of bad luck, and their results have not been as bad as their performances suggest. But they're, I mean, they're capable. They've they're, I think they've beaten Luton by an aggregate score of nine nil this season. Yeah. So they, 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 they like they are capable, but you just looked at the injury list and you thought, okay, if Town are if Town are a serious side here. Who mm. are going to be in it for the long haul and are going to be in that mix right at the end? Then these are the games you have to go and deal with, aren't they? And they yeah. went and they dealt with it. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know, it's not going to get anyone like overexcited, going like, oh, we've no. got, you know, we're beating Birmingham two 0 in a way that beating Fulham or Cardiff last minute will do. But you know, though, as you say, those are the games you need to win, or at least you need mm. to win most of them, because you know we keep talking about the the six pointers they've still got coming up, and they do have a fair few of them, but so does everyone in the division. Um, and when we're talking about those six pointers, we're almost taking for granted that they're going to get the results against your likes of your Birmingham's, um, you know, and and you know the Millwall and and Peterborough who are up next, obviously. So you know, but it isn't taken for granted. You mentioned you know they beat Luton, yeah, you know, Birmingham beat Luton three 0 a couple of weeks ago. Luton have been the best team in the division since. If you took the league table points per game table from the beginning of December, Luton are top, um, better than Fulham. So for them to beat. To beat um, for Birmingham to beat them three 0 at St Andrews a couple of weeks ago just sort of shows you can't take these games for granted. So to go and you know get that clean sheet and get the two goals and sort of pretty much cruise to victory is you know is important for Town. They do need to keep doing that. They're not going to win all of those games. Um, and you know they've still got sort of Hull and uh, Barnsley as well. Barnsley who are doing well at the moment. Weirdly, they won at the weekend beat Middlesbrough. I think three wins in four is it for Barnsley now since. Yeah. Town beat them in the cup. Yeah. So, you know, again, another result that shows you can't take these things for granted. And But Town are getting those results at the moment. And, you know, that is as much a part of the reason that they're in this position in the, the league table and they've got that unbeaten run going as those more exciting results, those more eye-catching results. Yeah. So, an incredible nine-point week, you know. Mm. I, I, like... Nine points from two away games and a home game. I, yeah. I mean, that could not have gone, physically could not have gone better, could it? <laughs> no, it couldn't. And, you know, for a brief moment, they were even second um, when mm. when when Bournemouth were behind uh, in the first half and early in the second half. Um, but obviously, I think, you know, people are looking at Bournemouth, but I think, is it four games in hand they've got? Yeah, they're not they're not going to lose all four, and Town still have to play Bournemouth as well. Um, yeah, which is going to be an interesting game. So, yeah, I I think I think it's worth just throwing forward a little bit because Peter game Friday, which mm-hmm. again, you know, if to to say exactly the same thing again, if they're a serious side in it for the long haul, they have to beat Peterborough at home. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, nothing else really is acceptable there. For the the sort of release of an FA Cup tie on Monday, which we think there'll probably be a few changes, um, still be a very competitive team, but it, it's... Carlos Corbyn talked in his presser about the need to rest 
Jonathan Hogg the other day and etc. Mm. So it, it's an ideal opportunity to give a couple who are near the red zone 90 minutes off is is what we'll say. And we, and we know that even if they do rotate, they're going to be bringing in strong options. Yeah, you know, yeah. So. Um, but then throwing forward, they're then going into. I I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's season defining but they're going into a run of games where we're really going to know exactly where the level are where the level is right now I think because it's it's what it's West Brom away on the Friday night it's mm. is it Millwall away then on the Wednesday yeah and then I'm home to Bournemouth but mm. if they beat Forest that Bournemouth game I think would be have to be rearranged which is interesting because Bournemouth already have loads of postponements that they need to make up so yeah. if they knock if they knock that game the other side of the international break that's a lot more in town's favor than it is in Bournemouth actually. well the the thing is I just wonder whether that Bournemouth game would be left as sacrosanct actually because if you look at what they've done with Peterborough for this round of the FA Cup mm. because obviously they shifted uh town's game to the Monday so it's the last game of the round because right. of uh, the the amount of games that Peter had to get through. I think the league calendar is being seen as more important, and it's the FA right. Cup that would have to move. Um, or speaking to a couple of people, anyway, that's certainly the impression I got. But they're on a great run, seventeen games unbeaten. Mm-hmm. They've got a great fixture Friday um, to to try and keep it going. They've got that release of the cup. Those next three games, though, really do look quite key as to what yeah. their long term ambitions are. What are you? Where are you right now with with Town and the end of the season? Are you start? Are you starting to believe, Steve? Yeah, I, I feel like as it stands and sort of final last words. I think this is the first time I'll go on record as saying this. We said a few weeks ago, if you asked us, will Town make the playoffs? We would probably say no, they'll drop out of it. I'm now at a point where I, if you ask me, will they make the playoffs? I'm, I would say I think it's more likely than not. Um, but, I mean, that's obviously a result of the form they're showing. We know how quickly form can turn. You know, it could be, you know, if they lose to Peterborough and lose to West Brom, then all of a sudden we're saying they're useless and we don't know where the next win's coming from. You know, that's that's just how it works. So, But I think, you know, you can effectively... I mean, if they beat West Brom, they could well effectively just take West Brom out as a as a as another playoff contender, potentially, mm-hmm. the way that West Brom's season's going. Um, they're a long way behind now. Um, they're eight points off, and I think... If Town were to beat West Brom, then that would almost be their season over. Um, but I think Peterborough is a game they should win, but they got and they got battered at the weekend. They're bottom of the table now. Um, you know they lost three nil at home to Hull, but they've got. They a new... have to. They have to. Like I, you know, we sit here as analysts, Steve, and we try to be fair and measured. But they have to beat. Peterborough yeah. if, if they are serious about being yeah, playoff contenders they have to it's, if it was an away game I would say do you know what if they get a sucker punch and it's a draw or whatever okay if you can draw your away games that's fine but the home game this is the first time I think I've said it they have to win that game you know anything less than three points really we, you'd have to talk in terms of a failure yeah unless yeah well there's not really an unless but the the sort of the word of caution i would have is you know they're playing city man city in the fa cup uh on tuesday night and you know if they give city a game then they'll be full of confidence under their new manager grant mccann and blah 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 but mm-hmm. yeah they should win that game really i'm trying to try to <laughs> try to talk around it but yes they should win that game but west brom and millwall they're both away they're both evening games which town have traditionally Actually, they've been really good in the evening games. And Town's this week, away this record. Only Bournemouth and Fulham have taken more points than Town on the road. Yeah. So but, you know, it, it's 
that I think they're third in the away table and they're actually about I think they're sixth in the home table so mm. you could almost argue that being away slightly favours them mm. madly but um I think those are two, West Brom and Millwall are two teams who it's almost, it depends which version of them turns up. They've both, yeah, been, that, the, yeah. they've both been that side kind of team this season. You know, West Brom, I, I'm, I've only got the last five here um, on my league table. West Brom haven't won any of the last five and Millwall have won all of their last four. So, you know, but, but they're separated in the table by three points. So I think that tells you that they're two quite, streaky teams West Brom I've heard nothing but bad things about since Town beat them back in November um, they've also got a new manager familiar face obviously to town fans Steve Bruce but yeah I mean I think we always talk about sort of points per game and what points per game tally do they need I think at this stage what are they on now 59 um, and I think they probably need another if they get another 15 points then that would probably be enough most seasons to get into the playoffs mm. um, so five more wins from 11 games on current form you'd expect them to get that um, but that sort of you know from from 11 games that that sort of that 15 points what's that that's uh, it's about one and a third points per game so they're on for they need a little bit over four points every three games they should be able to do that really I think you know that the run rate the they've been going for is sort of the or not been targeting but that they've been getting is is sort of five in every three and they only need four in every three in all likelihood at this stage so yeah there's an opportunity there but you know it's easy to sit and throw numbers and points per game and targets it's another thing to actually go and do it on the pitch mm. but I think you know it's hard to pick out apart from Sonana who we talked about and I think Holmes as much as I like him is a bit inconsistent um from one moment to the next and one game to the next. Um, having Andrew in could make such a, a big difference on paper. I don't want to keep going on about him, but I, I do keep going back to it going, if there's one area of the team that needs improving, it's the area where they've actually got a player who's coming in for the first time after an injury. So mm. exciting. No, you, you said he's better than Johan Cruyff. It's fine. Um, I'm not quite there yet. I think... I, I, it's it's not that it's not that I don't think they can or I don't think they should. I think they're in a brilliant position to do it from here. I just think they've got this spell of games. If they get through this spell fairly unscathed, I will absolutely believe. But I think there's there's added pressures now coming their way. I think it's those weeks where you drop down the table and you haven't played a game that are are coming because other teams are going to catch up with with various fixtures. And I, I look round, and there are certain teams that are on a march. So, you know, Town are going to have to earn that playoff spot. They can't fall into it. They can't afford to, to switch off, arguably, right until the point it's completely assured. So, yeah, I, I'm, I think it's, I think they can do it. That's the difference now. I think I'm not at the point where I, I'm sort of. Uh, you know, blue and white flag on my cheek and I'm booking tickets for Wembley. But I think that they can do it now. I think my hesitancy has always been that a lot of sides with a lot of games around them and, and Town have had a couple of bad spells this season. Yeah. The thing is, it really hasn't cost spells. them. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it hasn't really cost them. And you do wonder if they have another three-week dip before the end of the season is it is it going to cost them because after this little three game spell they've got a couple of fixtures and then they go into like a a, a proper run where they've got i think middlesbrough and they're i think it's QPR. Luton again qpr yeah. so 
they they really if if they're gonna keep going, they've got to keep getting wins, not draws. Which is why I look at the Peterborough game and I say it's got to be three points. You know, anything less is 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 not not acceptable really in terms of the playoff run. So, yeah, I'm not quite there yet, but I now think they can. Um, but and the, I think the... they, I think they can do it under their own merits as well. I don't think they need anybody else to slip up. They've just got to keep going. They've got to keep their foot on the gas, basically. It's only goal difference that's stopping us from saying that it's in their own hands at this point. Yeah. Because um, <clears throat> the games in hand are meaning less and less, particularly with the results at the weekend. So, mm. um, I mean, the thing that sort of gives me faith to come circle back and make sure we cover the Lee Nichols thing is is that defensive record. You know, they've only conceded two in the last six games and they've played, it's they've played some good teams season, in that run. It's isn't it? It's yeah. 36 all season, which, which I think... Puts them on course for is it something like forty seven, forty eight goals conceded over the course of the mm-hmm. season, and it was seventy one last year. <laughs> seventy one. Yeah. And I mean, when you compare it to the rest of the top half, weirdly they've all got they've all got nearly identical goals against records, but they've had the most clean sheets. Obviously, you know, eight of the goals they conceded were against Fulham and Bournemouth in the first half of the season, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they're well, they've shown against Fulham they're a much better side than that now. Um, and even sort of, you know, the last time they conceded three, the only time since Bournemouth they've conceded three, they ended up winning anyway against Reading. So, you know, they've, as I say, they've had the most clean sheets and, and you and I have talked about Lee Nichols and we've um, we've each independently sort of tried to look at the question of how many points he's saved down this season. I've run it a couple of different ways and keep coming to, to 10 um, based on sort of performance against XG and so on. Um, but uh, one way or the other, he's been the best, keeping the championship from everything you've looked at hasn't he yeah well he, he's second for total saves made and I think what's significant about that is that Barnsley's keeper is number one and Reading's keeper is number three so he's sandwiched between two two rotten sides with rotten defences who give up an absolute shed load of chances <coughs> I think we slightly take for granted the ones he just gets behind and deals with an absolute minimum of fuss because it completely, you go, okay, well, he should make that save. But the reason he should make that save is he's got his positioning right and he's put himself in the right Mm. area for where he thinks the shot's going to go. And it's gone straight down his neck and that's exactly where he wants it to go. And I think we like not not we i mean criticism is the wrong word but i think that the thing we had recently was yeah but we can't think back to that glorious save he's made that's definitely saved points i think that was probably the wrong way to look at it in in hindsight and now we have got those saves you know there was a couple at fulham that were brilliant there was the sheffield united one which was a genuine point saving save Mm. um so he's got that on top you know 14 clean sheets so he's clear in the championship now by two i think his save percentage is second only to uh, a lad who has played less than half the time he has which is statistically a very very significant thing you know it, the, the consistency he's managed is just phenomenal and i i think that he, he came in and he looked good at first obviously penalty shootout at sheffield wednesday then a covid absence but he he looks so much fitter. He looks really trim. He looks so lively on his feet. He's so quick. He's so proactive. Yeah, proactive but, was the word against Birmingham. They would go mm. for the balls over the top, and there were there was one where he was off his line and and claimed it inside the box, and there's another where he came well out of his box and headed it clear. So, mm. yeah, 
I, it's it's making a huge difference, and it's impossible to quantify how many points difference. But you know, I I was chatting with you at the weekend, and I'm with you. I think it's ten, possibly it's even a, a couple more. It's he has made a huge difference, and as I said, I I think you just sort of take for granted the sort of metronomic quality of of just being in the right place consistently. You know, just to take that shot right in the centre of the chest where he wants to. So just phenomenal really and that whole defensive unit is something we'll probably spend a lot of the summer talking about in truth. Not to mention his his you know, his work on crosses, you know, he prevents so many shots through getting the, the getting it right, claiming crosses. So Yeah, yeah, he's superb. Right then, I think we're done then. Big news, two games, bit of Lee Nichols love. I think tick tick tick. Yeah, you're right. Tick, tick, tick. All done. Uh, Dave, thanks for taking over the hosting duties. Uh, so you can ask me where people can find me on Twitter. Oh, I don't really want to. I know fine. where to find you. That's enough. I know where to find you and I know where you live. I have all the information I need. Thank you very much. But if somebody else wanted to find you on Twitter, where is it? It's at Stephen Chicken, Stephen with a V. And I am at David Hartrick, which is H-A-R-T-R-I-C-K. Uh, we've been, uh, we've got a few shifts between us coming up. There's loads of pieces coming. Head to Yorkshire Live for all your Huddersfield Town-related needs, and we shall see you next week. Bye. Who's